His eyelids are closed. But behind the lids, the eyes are moving rapidly back and forth. He's on the second story of his home where his bedroom is because only the wealthiest in that society had two-story homes. If you were to walk in the room, you would notice the, the tapestry that is the curtains moving back and forth from the wind, almost like the room is breathing. He's in the bed. He's sleeping. But he's restless. He's having a nightmare, and it's not an uncommon nightmare. It's one that he's had over and over and over again. It's growing in intensity the longer he's having this particular nightmare. He has everything in this life figured out. He's doing well financially. There's no crisis he's having to navigate. It's not this life. It's what's next that's creating this nightmare. He can't seem to find anywhere that's truly safe. He knows that something is missing. The nightmare is the same every time. He finds himself hurrying down a hall full of doors, and all of the doors are locked, and there's nowhere that he can get in to find what he's looking for. On this night, the intensity of the nightmare wakes him up. He wakes up with a cold sweat on his forehead, and he thinks to himself, enough is enough. I've got to do something about this. I've got to find what it is that is missing in my life. I know who I need to see. So he makes the plans and he makes the journey to meet Jesus. And we pick up the story in Mark chapter 10. Now, if you're a Christ follower, or maybe you grew up in church or you've been in church a while, you've read your Bible, this is not an uncommon story. You know this story. It's the story of the rich young ruler. If you're new this morning, you're not a Christ follower. This story has so much truth that if you apply it to your life and I apply it to my life, it is not only life-changing, it's eternity-changing. It's the rich young ruler. Because Mark calls him rich, Matthew calls him young, Luke calls him a ruler, three of the Gospels touch on this one story. So he goes to Jesus. Mark chapter 10, verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Now, the rich young ruler in that culture, in that society, people that were the elite in the society or considered elite did not run. Servants may run, slaves may run, but the wealthy did not run. But this man is running. You, you sense the urgency. There's a nightmare that he's wrestling with. But what if, what if? What if the answer to the nightmare is a bigger nightmare? He's running to Jesus and he falls on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I've got things in this life pretty well figured out. I mean, of course, everybody has bad days, but overall... As I look at my life, I'm doing all right. It's not this life. It's the next life that I'm concerned about. It's what's next. And notice what Jesus says. 
why do you call me good? Now, the reason he asked this question is that in the original language, this word good actually translates perfection or perfect. In other words, it's not like, oh, that was a good dinner. Oh, that's a good car. Oh, that was a good movie. No, no, no. This good means perfection. So that this rich young ruler knows exactly who Jesus is. He's the son of God. He calls him perfect teacher. So Jesus says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. But wait, is Jesus saying he's not God? No, Jesus is acknowledging through a rhetorical question the reality of the circumstances. Jesus is saying, hey, in your life, you may call me perfect, you may call me God, you, you may label me God, but you don't live like I'm God. We're in the series God Is, and this morning it's very, very simple I want to talk about the thought, God is God. Because I think for some of us, we have an idea of God. We've created, instead of recognizing that God created us in His image, we've created God in our image to fit our needs, and we have our, our idea of who God should be. And so when He lets us down, we're upset with Him, we're mad at Him, we push back from Him. But what if the reality is the God that you have in your mind, sometimes the God that I have in my mind, is in fact not God at all? Jesus is not saying he's not God. He's just saying, you have the right label, but you don't live like I'm God. Now, what's interesting to me, we know this throughout history, the way Jesus dealt with people back then is the way Jesus deals with us now. So this morning, one of the things I have to reconsider, I think we have to consider, I would encourage you to consider, I need to consider Is God really God in my life? Or is God just a label? Is God just, I have an idea and I've read some scriptures or I have some thoughts and some feelings about who God is. Is God really God? So Jesus stops him. He doesn't even get into what the man's coming to talk to him about. He stops him and rather than answering the question, why why are you calling me that? Why are you calling me that? I see how you live. I see how you think. I know where you go. I know what you do. Why are you calling me God? Because you you might label me that, but in fact, I'm not really God at all in your life. I'm not really perfect at all in your life. What, What you call me is not how you're living. And I wonder sometimes if God does that with us. We go and we begin to pray to God, dear God, and I wonder if he says, whoa, 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 whoa. You're calling me God. But you're not living like I'm God. You you know the right name. But the way you treated your wife this week, the way you function as an employee, the way you treat people that mistreat you, you're calling me God. But you're not living like I'm God at all. Jesus stops the man's request because his life contradicts what he's saying. Jesus sees through him the way, Jesus sees through what we call him to what we truly believe. Jesus sees the heart. And so there's a question that I want to ask you, and 
I hope you'll have the courage to answer it honestly. I hope I'll have the courage to answer it honestly. Because this is the kind of question that if we answer it honestly and process and deal with what that means, the you of five years from now will thank the you of today. Here's the question. You have the right title. Do you have the right testimony? You call him God. But is he really God in your life? Because the very idea of God, the very idea of God, the creator of the universe, the majesty of God, the bigness of God, who God is. If God is really God, that means he's Lord. That means he's master. That means he's over everything. That means the only right response to anything that God asked me to do is yes. But pastor, I'm I'm not... I mean, I try, but I'm not perfect. I I struggle, I mess up. Hey, welcome to life. We all do. Hey, hey, the reality is this. If you're here this morning and you think you've come and you're looking for a perfect church, we are not a perfect church. But we serve a perfect Savior who shows us what life can look like. It's not about perfection, it's about direction is the momentum of your life. When you look back at your life over the last week, the last month, the last year, and the year before that, and the year before that, and the year before that, is, is there a, a momentum in your life towards saying yes to what God asked you to do? Is there momentum in your life of, of growing faith? Do you look back and think, man, I used to think like this, now I think like this. I used to treat people like this, now I treat people like this. I, I used to do this my way, but now I do this God's way. Is that evident in your life? He continues, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus, I'm good on that. I I grew up in a home of faith. I was taught the scriptures. I'm good on all that. I've always done that. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack. Now, I want you to feel what he must be feeling in this moment. One thing you lack. If Jesus were to show up at C3 today, by the way, he comes every Sunday. But but if he were to come here in the flesh and and be waiting in the lobby when this service is over, and you walk out in the lobby and Jesus says, hey, can I talk to you a second? Uh, um, uh, 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 Okay. Hey, I want to talk to you about what you can do to be closer to me and improve your life. Now, now if that's me, I'm thinking, okay, Jesus, can, can, can we sit down? Because this is going to take a while. You've probably got a list. Hand me the encyclopedia. You, you, you've got, I, I mean, if you're going to talk to me about things that I need to improve or things in my life that need to be corrected, all right. Um, Dallas plays this afternoon, but they're not showing it in Orlando for some dumb reason. So we got time. It's fine. Okay, Jesus. And then he says to me, no, 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 it's just one thing. It's just one thing. I would throw a freaking party. (laughs) I mean, can you imagine? No, there's no list. There's not 18 things you got to do by next week. Just one thing, one thing, one thing is missing in your life. One thing you lack, one thing. And this one thing opens up the door to everything I want to do in your life. Just one thing. Can you imagine what he must have felt like? 
The nightmares, the struggle, the intensity that would cause someone in culture who's not even supposed to run to run to Jesus. The urgency he's feeling. And he asked the question, I've got this life. Most of it figured out. It's the next life. It's what's next. Can can you tell me how to have eternal life? There's one thing. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, if you're the kind of person that underlines or writes in your Bible, rather than underlining and circling, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, you might want to underline, you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. Now, can you imagine, very wealthy man in that culture, can you imagine when Jesus says, sell everything, follow me? Uh, okay, is there an option too? I mean... How about 50 50? I've got a lot. I could, I could do 50 50. Or, or maybe, 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 maybe just 10%. Maybe just make me give you 10% or ask me to give you 10%. And I'll, I'll keep 90. Just to, Jesus says, No, I want you to sell everything. Now, before you have a stroke, this is not where we're going. Because this is the only time in all of the Bible Jesus asks someone to sell everything they have. This is not a universal principle for everybody, sell everything you've got. That's not what this is. He is dealing with the very issue that this man is not willing to surrender. Your issue may be different. And so there are people in the New Testament that were intensely wealthy that helped to fund the ministry of Jesus. You remember Zacchaeus, even when he came to become a Christ follower after that day that Jesus met him and had lunch with him, he said, half of what I own I'll give to the poor. It wasn't everything. So this is not something, oh, we need to all go sell everything. That's not what this is. It's deeper than that. It's more personal than that. And notice what Jesus offers. If you do what I'm asking... You will have treasure in heaven. That, that thing that you're worried about, what's next? That thing that's been consuming you, what's next? That thing that you're wrestling and struggling with, the thing that's keeping you up at night, what's next? Oh, you're not just going to make it. If you do this, you'll have treasure there. And treasure there is much bigger, much fatter, fatter with a PH, much fatter <laughs> than anything you have here. Now, notice what happens. The, the, the next verse to me is one of the most tragic verses in all of Scripture. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. I can almost imagine, after all this, the urgency, the man coming, running, dropping at the knees of Jesus, saying these things, and Jesus says, sell everything you have, give to the poor, then come follow me. His face, the countenance, fell. And he turns and he begins to walk away. And I wonder if he was walking away. He's hoping Jesus will say, no, 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 okay, okay, come back, come back, come back. Uh, We'll do 50%. But it doesn't happen. And a man who wanted salvation was told how to get it and what the benefit would be. Instead of receiving it, walked away from it. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? How hard is it? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? 
It's easier for a, uh, a camel. It's easier for a camel to go through the, the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Hang on. Is Jesus saying that all rich people go to hell? That, that's not what he's saying at all. He's saying there are things that we have in our lives sometimes that we put more trust in and hold on to tighter than we do Jesus. And if something else is above Jesus in our life, then he's not God in our life. Now, some of you are in this room right now, you know what you're thinking? You're thinking, I'm so glad he's talking about this because I'm not rich. <laughs> this is for the rich people. I hope you rich people are listening this morning. Y'all need to listen. <laughs> listen. Think about this. If this guy, if this guy were to walk into this room, this rich man, and sit in the service, when it was over, let's say that I met him in the lobby and said, hey, man, why don't you come to my house for lunch today? The moment we walked out and got into my car, which he would marvel as he walked up a vehicle, the moment we get in the car and we start driving, he's going to start screaming. He's never traveled at that rate of speed. He will start banging on the door because he doesn't even know how to use a handle. When he finishes screaming, he's going to say, where, where, where? Where are the horses? I'll say they're under the hood. How many do you have? I have no idea. I don't. I don't have any idea. We would pull up to my house. He would be further astounded when he watches a wall of the outside of my home go We would walk into the house, and if you came to my house, you'd walk through the utility room from the garage. Right to the left is a bathroom, and I'd say, hey, man, would you like to wash up before we grab some lunch or something? And he walks in. He might spend an hour at the sink playing with cold and hot water. He's never seen anything like it, and it comes into the home. Then he has the thought, well, I do need to wash up, and he notices that lower bowl sitting right beside the sink and begins to kneel down. I say, no, 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 don't do that. Don't wash your face in that. Only people drunk do that. Don't do that. You know what we use that for? That's where we put our waste. And then watch this. Mind blown. Then we would walk into the kitchen. Hey, we need to get something to eat. We would open the refrigerator. He would feel even colder air than the air that's pumping in the house, blowing out into his face. He would notice shelves full of food. As I said, "Uh, we, we really don't have anything to eat. We would find something and we would walk into the family room and we would sit down and have a long conversation and it would begin to get dark outside and he would think, hey man, I, I, I probably need to go, it's getting dark. And I would say, no, 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 no. And I would flip a switch and poof, sunlight in the room. And then I would say, hey, let, let, let's watch something. And I would turn on my art. Now he wondered when he walked in the room why I had this huge black thing hanging on the wall, big rectangle, but then it would come on alive with colors and sounds, and I would scroll through hundreds of channels and then say, there's really nothing on. See, we think of him as rich. If you're in this room this morning, you are far wealthier than this man ever dreamed of. In fact, if you're in this room this morning, you are among the wealthiest on the entire globe. We are rich. When you look at the globe and you look what God has done, see, this story is not about them, it's about us. Jesus is talking to us. He's looking at us. You're breaking your neck to figure out how to save up for an iPhone with three cameras. 
you're chasing things that you feel like you need. Where, where does God fit in the list in your life? Because for the follower of Christ, the Bible says very, very clearly that if you're a, if you're a Christ follower, the first 10% of your income belongs to God. If you don't bring the first 10% of your income to the local church, you are robbing God and you cannot call God God in your life. About every week when I come out on this platform, I lay my Bible down on this podium. I've used this podium from the beginning of C3. The reason I use this podium is not that it looks cool, I think it does, but what you don't see that I see every single Sunday is on the top of this podium, engraved in the top of this podium, is a heart. I I lay the Word of God down on a heart every single Sunday. It is a reminder to me and serves as a reminder that sometimes hard things have to be said, but they need to always be said in love. The foundation is love. So what I'm about to say, I say with a heart full of love, because Scripture teaches it, and I would not be a good pastor or a good friend if I didn't say it, but about 80% of you are robbing God. Everything that happens in the life of C3, 20% of you make sure that happens. Now, while that may be uncomfortable, it makes it no less true. So could it be That you would say, oh God, I want salvation. God, I want eternal life. God, I want in the next life to be okay. I I want you to be my Savior. But how do you reconcile calling Him God and not living like He's God in your life? Let's stop playing games. If you're not a Christ follower, you might be thinking, man, that's kind of heavy. No, no, no. If you're not a Christ follower, you understand as well. If someone says they have a God, they do what he says. It's the hypocrisy of Christ followers not doing what God says that causes you to push back from God to begin with. You know as well as we do what we should be doing. But we think we're okay with God. We think it's all good with God. So somebody says, hey, how you doing? I'm blessed. We're blessed. I'm blessed. Can we talk about that just for a second? Why do we call ourselves blessed? When I say I'm blessed, it usually means my bills are paid. My life is good. I don't have any disease or illness. My kids are good. Blessed means that God is performing in the way I think He should, and life is basically good. I've paid all my bills. I've even been able to buy some of my wants. I'm I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. So the logical thinking, if we function and think that way, is that people that are in Haiti or people that are in India, where I've been several times, or people that are in Africa, where I've been, or people that are in Moldova, where I've been, are cursed. Why have we tied blessing to what God does for me financially and in my health? Now, the Bible does say every good thing comes from God. But your bank account, the square footage of your home, the car that you drive has nothing to do with how blessed you are. I know people that are intensely blessed that are battling cancer. Why have we come to this place where we think we're blessed if everything's good? Some of the people that I know that are the most blessed 
are struggling in some area of life because blessing has nothing to do with my stuff or myself. It's hard for us to break out of that because we are so selfish. Blessing in reality has to do, I am blessed because there is a God that loves me, that sent his son to die for me, and it changed my eternity and changed my life. If God never did another thing for me, I'm blessed. See, because we view ourselves as blessed, we think we're okay with God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. Hey, what what you're wrestling with, what you're struggling with, what you're trying to figure out in your life and you've tried and you've tried coming at it from different angles and you keep trying, it's not working. God, God told us it wouldn't. With man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. All things are possible with God. Man, some of you need to underline that. Because you're trying to figure it all out. And this morning is a subtle whisper from the creator of the universe. I can take care of it. I can handle it. I can carry that. I can move in that circumstance. But I won't do it unless I'm God. Don't just call me a name and then live like you're in charge. Make sure how you live matches what you call me. God has this, this funny thing about himself that he will only settle for number one. He'll only take first place. God has no desire to come be a, a part of your life. God desires your life. And our Savior has no problem with us having stuff. He only has a problem if our stuff becomes our Savior. So when it comes to our finances, money is a tool or a goal. And if money is your goal, it becomes your God. Now you might say, well, money, money's not my God. If you're a Christ follower, do you bring 10% to the local church? If not, money's your God more than God is your God. Now, you might be tempted to think, especially if you're new to C3, oh, he's just trying to manipulate us. He just wants our money. No, 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 no. Please hear me clearly. This is what Scripture teaches. If you think I'm trying to manipulate you, then please tithe. Tithe is a mathematical term. It means 10%. It's what the Scripture says we're to do. If not, we're robbing God. Please do it. Just give it to another church. This is not about what I want from you. It's about what I want for you. I don't want you to miss the life God created you to live. We only get to do this one time. And you're trying to be in charge of your life. Instead of letting God be God in your life. Now, one of the most fascinating things about this passage, to me, it may just be me, but to me, one of the most fascinating things, the rich young ruler, he knew who Jesus was. And he knew he needed to go to him and where to find him. He came to Jesus with an urgency. I have a need in my life. The the need, the urgency drove him to go to Jesus, which is where he knew he needed to go. He came with a humility. He fell at his knees. You are God, I am not. He lived a good life. He followed scripture. And he asked for salvation. But he didn't get it because he wouldn't surrender. Just like there are many people 
They go to church week after week because there's an urgent need. And they know perhaps I need Jesus. Yeah, I've heard, and he probably is the son of God. And I know where to find him. I can go to C3 on a Sunday. And I'm trying. I mean, I'm not perfect, but I'm trying to live my life in a good way. And there's an urgency because I really need God to move in my life. I need the presence of God in my life. And there's a humility because I recognize he's God and I'm not. And I know I need salvation. But Jesus has a way of asking us the one question. And it's different for you than it is for you, than it is for you, than it is for me. The one question that helps us see if he's he's really God or not and if we really want him to be God. Is there anything in your life that you won't surrender to me? He wouldn't surrender. You call me God, but am I? Jesus said to him, if you'll do this, you'll have treasure in heaven. The, the Bible speaks of the fact that as Christ followers, we are heirs to the throne. We are the children of God. The only people that are children of God are people that have surrendered their lives to Christ. We are the children of God. God is everyone's creator. He's not everyone's God. What's interesting to me is an inheritance goes to family, not fans. The only role that God will play in our lives is God. So if there's anything in your life that the Bible says, hey, as a Christ follower, you need to do this. As a Christ follower, you need to be involved in this. As a Christ follower, man, avoid this because it's going to hurt you. And anything that hurts you, anything that hurts me, hurts those that we love also. Jesus did not die on the cross to give me salvation. Jesus died on the cross to give me salvation. (laughs) What? Jesus did not die on the cross to give me salvation. Jesus died on the cross to give me salvation. What does that mean? It means we have a jacked up version of salvation. What we want when we pray a prayer is, okay, Jesus, I want to make sure that I'm going to heaven. I want you to do something about the guilt that I'm feeling. And I want you to bless me. I want you to bless my life, my family. I want you to bless me and take care of my kids, take care of my spouse. I want you to be good to me. Our salvation is so self-consumed. It's all about, God, what are you going to do for me now? What are you going to do for me next? How much are you going to do for me? And if you don't, God, I'm going to be really, really mad at you. No, no, no. Jesus died on the cross not to give me that kind of salvation. He died on the cross to give me salvation, which is a surrendering of my life. It means that when I come to him and when I ask him to come in my life, there is an understanding. I'm inviting you to come into my life, not just so that I get to heaven, not just so that I'll have a little bit easier life. I'm needing you to come into my life because you are God. You are Lord. You're going to be in charge as best I can. I'm going to live that way. But, but hold on. Pastor, I, I believe all the right stuff. I mean, I believe Jesus came from heaven. I believe he lived a perfect life. I mean, that's, that's what they say. Yeah, I guess I believe that. I, I believe he had three years of effective ministry. I, I believe there were miracles that he did. He, he walked on water. He fed the 5,000 men plus women and children. He turned water to wine. That's my favorite. I, I mean, I... I, I believe that stuff. I believe Jesus died on a cross, and I believe three days later he rose from the dead. I believe that stuff. Did you know James chapter 2 says, Our enemy Satan and the demons also believe everything I just said? 
So the question is, how's my faith different from the demons who believe the same thing? It's not about what we know. It's about what we do with what we know. The difference is the demons and this rich young ruler, he had the opportunity to know Jesus in a more personal way, to be connected with the Father forever. He had that opportunity and he walked away because he let something else be God in his life other than God. He would not surrender. That guy, Satan, demons, they're not going to surrender. You and I have the opportunity to surrender. So when I ask you to do something with your marriage, your kids, your finances, and you won't, why do you call me God? Are there things in Scripture that you know God says? I, I mean, I, I talked about tithing. That, that, that's crystal clear. Wait, I thought tithing was, a, was an Old Testament concept. I thought that was in Malachi chapter 3, and that's Old Testament, and that was the law, and now we're under grace. Well, you should read the New Testament then, because Jesus affirms what the Old Testament says when he refers to this and says we should be doing it. Also, grace does not minimize how we should live, it elevates it. Because Jesus said, hey, if you commit murder, that's a sin. But now I tell you, if you look at your brother with hate, you've committed murder. If you look at someone with lust in the Old Testament, that's a sin. Or if you, you have an affair or commit adultery, that's a sin. But now Jesus says, now I tell you, if you just look at them with lust, you're, you're guilty of sin. Grace elevates, it doesn't diminish. So here's the question. What is the blank that Jesus would ask me for today? What is it in your life that you've not surrendered to God. What is it that you know and He knows? You start those prayers with dear God, but I'm not really God in your life. There's that area. We talked about tithing and finances because that's what the passage deals with, but it could be so many other areas. Maybe for you it's that area, maybe for you it's a different area. What is the thing in your life that God is saying, this is what you need to do? It's what my scripture teaches. And you've said no. Are you waiting for a more convenient time? Or you've lied to yourself that when I get to this point, I'll start. When I get there, I'll start. You know the person, I've discovered the person that I lie to the most in my life is myself. We always feel better about putting things off until tomorrow, but we never live at the address of tomorrow. So what is it in your life that is clogging up what God wants to do in your life? What is it in your life that is causing a spiritual stagnation in your life? What is it in your life that is frustrating you when the reality is it all comes down to the issue of surrender and asking God to be God in your life? And giving God your life, not just a part of your life. For some of you, it is the issue of finances. I want to encourage you today to say yes to what God asks of every Christ follower. I want to encourage you today. Wait, 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 wait. You haven't seen my budget. You don't know how much debt I'm in. You don't know what. You have no idea about my circumstances. 
man, I make this much and my bills are this much. I think you and I are a lot better off living on 90% and bringing God the 10% he asked for and allowing him to bless and work in his presence to be in our lives and work through those circumstances than living on 100% cursed. So I want to encourage you today. And again, if, if you think I'm just pressing you and just another pastor talking about money, no, 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 no. Pick a church in the area that's a Bible-believing church and give them your 10%. You can still come here. We will still love you. We will still welcome you. If you get sick and go to the hospital, we'll come see you. We won't take the expressway because that costs money and you don't tithe anything. But we'll, we'll get there when we get there. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. What you bring or give to the life of C3 has nothing to do with how we value you. We value you because you're loved by God. We value you because you matter to God. And because of that, you matter to us. That's enough. There is no political hierarchy in this church where people that give more get special privilege. No, 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 no. This is not about what I want from you. It's about what I desperately want for you. I don't want you to miss what God could do in your life. And so I want to encourage you. If you're not bringing the first 10%, Text C3 Orlando to 77977 or go to give C3.cc. There will be a link there. You can sign up to give. You can give there. You can sign up for automated giving. Angie and I, listen, life is so busy. Four kids. Our motto was four and no more. Four kids, four grandkids. Life is busy, so we automate the important things. We make them as automatic as possible so it doesn't get interrupted. And what I love about automated giving, whether I get paid on a Tuesday or a Thursday or a Monday, it happens immediately. So I literally am putting God first with my finances. He's in first place. He deserves nothing less. I want to encourage you to step into that. Now, one of the cool things about our website on that page is there's something called the 90-day tithing challenge. If you say, man, I want to sign up for that, it means for 90 days, you're going to bring the first 10% of your income to C3. At the end of the 90 days, if you feel like God has not worked in your life, has not kept his promise has not done things in your life, we will refund everything you gave during that 90 days, no questions asked. That's how much we want you to experience, all of us to experience what God wants to do. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for every single person in this room. And Father, I pray in this moment, For those that are Christ followers and a part of C3. God, I thank you for those who put you first financially. And all the ministry, all the life change that happens. Because they're faithful to you. It takes resources to do ministry in our day and age. And I pray you'd continue to work in their lives in a special way. Father, I pray for those that are Christ followers, part of C3, that that are not bringing you the first financially, not putting you in first place financially. I pray today they would not allow procrastination to rob themselves of what you want to do in their lives. I pray today they'd sign up and trust you more than they trust circumstances or themselves or what they can figure out. And God, I know you'll keep your promise to them. The promise we read in Malachi 3. Thank you, Father, for what you're going to do in each life. With heads bowed and eyes closed, some of you today know that the what's missing in your life 
is Jesus. Maybe you've had a kind of a faith and a kind of a God, but you've never really put God in his rightful place of being God over everything in your life. Maybe like this rich young ruler, you, you've asked for salvation, but you've walked away sad because you prayed a prayer and nothing changed. And you look in your life, there's been no inner transformation, there's been no evidence of the presence of God. But did you pray a prayer asking Jesus to come into your life and giving him the title of God, but not living like he's God? Did you pray a prayer with your definition of salvation, not God's? Maybe this morning, you know that the need of your life is to truly surrender your life to Christ. If that's where you are, I'd love to lead you in a very simple prayer. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You can, you can pray out loud or you can pray quietly in your heart. The Bible says in the book of Matthew that Jesus knows even our thoughts. But if you'd like to surrender your life to Christ today and truly become a Christ follower, just pray this prayer. Dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Please forgive me of my sin. As best I know how, I surrender my life to you. I know I'm not going to be perfect. I'm going to mess up. When that happens, I thank you for grace and mercy and forgiveness. But Lord, I I want to live for you. I want the momentum of my life to be in the direction of living for you. So today... I say yes to you. I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen.